I'm Michael McMullen. And I'm John Mark Yates. Welcome to This Week in Church History. Welcome to This Week in Church History. I am excited to be here with my co-host, Dr. Michael McMullen, as we talk about uh, events that happened this week in church history. Uh, For this week, uh, the first week of June in 2020, as we emerge from our COVID-19 quarantines, uh, we're going to have a conversation uh, about uh, really Puritan spirituality and uh, thoughts. We're going to do that by uh, looking at the person of John Davenport. It's on June 4th in 1649 that the men of New Haven in Connecticut assembled a barn where Davenport preached and prayed earnestly and proposed uh, a new start for a a colony, a unique government that would fall underneath the leadership of, um, of Scripture and understanding And this is a fascinating aspect of American history and church history uh, all at once with the organization of the first autonomous government by English colonists in the New World. Dr. McMullen, uh, who was John Davenport and why does this event matter so much? Well, we often uh, think we uh, understand who the Puritans were when we simply talk about the Puritans. We we think we understand them, what they believed and, and what they were about, but they really were a, a very diverse group uh, under that kind of heading of, of uh, being a Puritan. And John Davenport is a kind of very good uh, representative example of who the Puritans were, and uh, some of the things that they did, if, if we could say, firstly, just as an introduction, you know, the Puritans were uh, a group within uh, the reign of Elizabeth and then into James who wanted the church more purified than it was currently in their time. So they wanted uh, to see a, a, a greater distance in their worship from uh, Catholic practice from Catholic rites. They they wanted it uh, to be much more uh, representative of how they viewed the church in the New Testament, and and because of that, the Puritans in England uh, began to be heavily persecuted. Uh, first with Elizabeth, and then with James, and then with Charles, and. Uh, With that persecution by the monarch and by the archbishop, William Lord, many of them, of course, fleed first to Holland and and then to the New World. And John Davenport is an an example of this. He flees to Holland uh, as a pastor and then heads for the New World. so I, as he's fleeing, though, do, is he coming with preconceived ideas about what he's going to try to accomplish, or is it more the case that he comes and then quickly realizes that he needs to intersect himself uh, within some of this new work that's going on? He heads for the new world at the invitation of uh, a friend in England, John Cotton, and John Cotton becomes uh, one of the leading settlers and the establishment in Boston. And Davenport comes over with his wife and a good friend, Theophilus uh, Eaton, and 
their idea becomes like many of the settlers, that they will uh, institute some kind of settlement that will have its primary uh, purpose and, and aim of living to God's glory, a little like a theocracy, but they will dedicate themselves. It's exactly what they did in that barn in New Haven. They uh, are establishing a new colony in the new world, um, believing that they can uh, live to God's glory in a new kind of way without persecution. And I think it's funny, uh, at least interesting, to, as they're sitting here uh, in New Haven, they're assembling in this barn, they're they're praying, and they, they set up just four rules that they think will make a difference for how uh, they're going to, uh, to, to live and how they're going to be. And those rules are this. One, Scripture contains the perfect rule for government by men in commonwealth, church, and family. So, uh, again, we we see that, that inheritance from the Reformation of the priority of Scripture, the sola scriptura. Second, they said they were to be uh, not only uh, ruled by Scripture, but guided by the Scriptures. Third, that they would create a church as soon as God fitted them for it. And fourth, they would establish a civil order to implement these articles and um, to ensure prosperity for themselves and for their descendants. So as they're getting started with this whole venture, uh, were these four rules enough for them to uh, to get going? Well, their belief so. Uh, Theophilus would become um, the first governor of this new colony of New Haven. It was to be a, a separate venture to all the other Puritan experiments in the area, and and it was clearly uh, founded and and guided by Scripture. They even built New Haven uh, based on uh, patterns that they took both from the Old Testament and the New Testament uh, in the way the streets were laid out with the idea that as people live there, they, they would be inspired to serve God because even the town was built um, in such a way that it would encourage worship and godly living. So even in the street layout, they saw that as a uh, an attempt to reproduce Christian virtue. Yeah, it, it was incredible. Everything was so designed in such a way it, it, it would encourage this godly community. Um, they were now free from persecution. They could worship in a way that they thought best reflected how the, the church was uh, portrayed in the New Testament, and they had the opportunity. They believed it was a God-given thing, and they could have this this new town and just a, a new way of living to serve God. Now, we know New, new Haven primarily uh, as Americans, I would think, as uh, the home of Yale University. Uh, did uh, Davenport ever see or think about a major university being uh, a part of his plans for uh, this ideal, uh, almost theocratic uh, city. Yeah, he he establishes a school himself, and certainly has a vision for uh, what would become Yale. Uh, sadly for him, uh, that vision wasn't actually. Um, fully realized until 30 years after his death, but I'm sure that uh, at Yale, at least in its early days, as a godly school for preparing uh, people for ministry and mission, certainly would have fulfilled what Davenport and others had hoped would become. 
Now, as we've talked here, we've talked about New Haven as being a separate experiment from the other Puritan experiments that were happening in the region. Um, why a separate experiment? Why aren't they all just doing the same thing? Uh, they were following what they believed uh, God was guiding them to do, and Davenport and Eaton uh, sailed into this harbor in 1638. They had 500 other Puritans with them, mm. and, and this was an incredible venture. And, and they saw this beautiful harbor. They bought the land from the, the Quinnipiac Indians who were there in return for protection from the settlers. And, and this was a, an incredible thing that these men and, and women and families were setting out to do there in New Haven. But let's be honest. I mean, if we're looking at this from our standpoint uh, in the 21st century, the, the initial work of New Haven, at least as far as uh, Davenport and Theophilus and those who were there uh, envisioned it, 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 it actually did fail. It, it failed in a sense. He established this new colony, uh, but as someone who had left the persecution in England, um, he allowed the judges who had decided the fate of Charles I in his being uh, executed for what he did in England, and the three judges involved in this, um, when Charles's son was reinstituted as the monarch Charles II, the judges also fled to New England mm -hmm. for safety and for their lives, and, and they stayed at the house of Davenport. So um, this really would not have gone down well in England amongst <laughs> the new monarchy, and soon uh, Davenport would see his dream um, uh, become part of Connecticut proper, something he would uh, be against and, and uh, argue against, but uh, the power of the king was there in this kind of political, probably involved a degree of revenge, I suspect. Yeah, you could imagine uh, all of those pieces playing together into that. Now, when we're looking at these four foundational um, aspects uh, and founding of the colony of New Haven. What about these four items? The, the scripture is the perfect rule, uh, the guidance of scripture, the necessity of the church, uh, the civil order. What about that was uniquely Puritan and, and reflected Puritan values? It, it was simply that the absolute dependence on, on God, his word, and, and Christ as head of the church. They were trying to follow a, a pattern of, of worship and practice that did not conform to the rigid pattern laid down by the king and the bishops in England. So it, it was a, a self-governing church. It, it put scripture at the center. It, it's, it certainly uh, involved uh, godly preaching that was drawn also from scripture. And Davenport was a very popular preacher, both in, in England and in the New World. So if he's so instrumental in this, why don't we know about Davenport today? Um. Although he was greatly admired uh, in his lifetime um, because of the failure 
politically, shall we say at least, of New Haven, certainly not of the city that New Haven became. And because of his uh, Puritan ideals increasingly uh, falling out of favor, favor Davenport, uh, even though he was uh, as well known as people like Thomas Hooker and John Cotton, he's not as remembered as them because New Haven is kind of subsumed into Connecticut. It really didn't have the, the stature of a Boston. Mm-hmm. Um, but something of, of who he was and his importance, I think, is reflected in, in the fact that he's buried in the same tomb with John Cotton in Boston. Mm. That's fascinating, uh, seeing how their uh, fates, in some respects, were were pulled together. Uh, him coming, Davenport coming over uh, at, at the request of Cotton, and then uh, even being interred there in the same uh, area. Talk about for uh, for a moment this this Puritan impulse, right? So I often tell my classes that y- you have the separatists who understand that the Church of England isn't ever going to change; it isn't ever going to reform. You might as well just separate. The Puritans, for such a long time, they simply wanted to purify what the Church of England was and increasingly were frustrated, as we've already talked about, and and having eventually to leave. Um, We understand the Puritans in connection with the foundation of America as well. But so often our image of the Puritans uh, is inaccurate in the sense that we often think of Puritans as rather dowdy, as... um, uh, as not ever having much joy, mm-hmm. as uh, uh, we'll even talk about maybe in modern parlance of someone having a puritanical rule, meaning uh, that they're overbearing, uh, they demand much. Uh, yet this doesn't actually play out in the sources when you read them. No, it really doesn't reflect the truth of the, sit- the situation. It has much more um, in in Hollywood than in truth as its basis. <laughs> Um, you know, the Puritans wanted a, a godly church that uh, people were involved in a, a day-to-day worship that wasn't governed and ruled and dictated by the crown. Um, but these were people who believed that the, the Church of England uh, still had enough of value uh, to be reformed from within, that it was still possible uh, with God at work that they could bring about you know, a, a greater reformation, let's say. And and so they felt it was better to stay there. But these were men and women and families who loved hunting, they loved fishing. Um, America's great occupation with these things, I believe, goes directly back to the Puritans. They loved color, they loved to dance, they loved to drink, they had fun. Uh, but it was all within the boundaries of, of doing that within a Christian lifestyle. So their houses would be brightly colored. They loved to have paintings at home. They would dance at weddings. But their worship generally would be very simple. And, and their meeting houses, again, would be very simple, uh, reflecting the idea that, that God and uh, the Word of God were, were to be central in their meetings together. So as Davenport is is bringing this together and uh, along with others uh, in New Haven and trying to create this order, 
Um, they, if, if I remember correctly, they're bringing together uh, even a broad spectrum of rulings that is not just a person. Uh, it's not centered just on Davenport. There's uh, the 12 members uh, of the, uh, the community who are chosen to kind of rule. And then there's even a separate structure for the church. And they're, they're trying to use biblical numbers of sevens yes. and twelves and, and, and all these things. And in what sense is Davenport or uh, even some of the Puritans doing this, even to provide a check on their own sinful desires, possibly to rule over others? Yeah, he doesn't want this to be a dictatorship or a anything approaching this. This is a, a godly community with godly leaders who will be um, there because uh, the people have established them in those positions, and, and they will pray together, and they will work together, and they all live and share as part of this community. So even as we look at Devin, Davenport as a as a forerunner of of this um, understanding of a, of a community of Christ, uh, a community driven by Christ, what if Puritan ideals and spirituality said that that was even possible? That there could be a, even a, a government that could work well, uh, structured and function this way. Well, of course, w what they believed was that God had led them to this new world. They were to be um, a light on the hill. They were to be this example of what God could do in and through a people um, who separated themselves uh, not to be holier than thou, but to pe be people who were living simply following the words of Christ and, and doing that as this example in this new experiment of what America was and how that, uh, that, how that would work out. Now, it, it would also have issues because Davenport and Cotton and other Puritans, um, even though they'd faced persecution themselves, um, were capable of... Um, just exercising persecution against bodies that they really didn't approve of themselves. And, and Baptists, unfortunately, mm -hmm. uh, would be one of those that wouldn't be approved of by Davenport and Cotton and others. John Cotton said of some of the early Baptists, Roger Williams in Providence, that he had <laughs> windmills in his head that created more heat than light. So they were willing to have this experiment, um, but there was an element of, of conforming to their viewpoints, uh, sadly, which was one of the things that they'd escaped from. Now, you have in your personal collection of artifacts, which is uh, rather large, and I'm always just a tad jealous of, uh, you have uh, a manuscript from Robert Keene, who also kind of Puritan, but not a pastor, not, not a preacher, but yet he's embracing some of these same ideals. Uh, talk about how that, how we can see how broad some of these Puritan spiritual aspects uh, applied even to business and to the foundation of those uh, yeah, aspects. Yeah, Robert Keane was uh, a young merchant in London. He uh, attended a church that uh, clearly was Puritan, even though that really was illegal. And uh, Keane would make, you know, handwritten notes of sermons and meetings that took place in the 1620s and 1630s. 
prior to him too having to flee to Holland and then the New World. And, and this manuscript is, is one of four that we know exist. Three of them are in, in the holdings of the Massachusetts uh, Historical Society. Um, this one um, has been only relatively recently discovered. Uh, it, it is still untranscribed and unpublished. And, and part of that is... Um, if anyone listening is interested in being involved to any degree in um, transcribing any of this Puritan manuscript, then they can contact me here at the seminary and uh, I'd be glad to um, include you in this kind of voluntary exercise that we have. Yet another call for more doctoral students to come and join yes, the absolutely. work. <laughs> there, you know, this would be a, a great thing for such people to be involved with, I'm sure. So New Haven with Yale, I think often we we probably as evangelicals tie that more to Jonathan Edwards. Is there a connection between Davenport and Edwards? Not directly. Um, Davenport predates Edwards. Um, Edwards would be known as, um, you know, the last of the Puritans, uh, which would be something maybe of a stretch. Um, Edwards was uh, a student and a tutor at Yale, and, and Yale was established, uh, as we said, as this um, place for the preparation of ministers and missionaries uh, at this point in the New World. But certainly Davenport has this vision uh, for such an institution, and Edwards is there right at the beginning as this uh, comes into fruition. Yet some of the things that they faced uh, were similar. So is it not the case that Davenport uh, was already working against some of the early iterations of a halfway covenant in the same way that Edwards did? Yes, certainly. That That's certainly one of the things they share in common. Um, Edwards's grandfather had come up with this great compromise of a halfway covenant whereby the, the children of Puritans could be baptized and, and even uh, hold membership within the church without a personal declaration of faith. They could come halfway into the covenant. Mm-hmm. Um, Edwards saw this as uh, an horrific compromise, and it, it really will be one of the, the major things that leads to his dismissal. Uh, from the church in Northampton, Davenport, in the early days uh, of this, um, anti, you know, anti-scriptural idea, he too um, is wholly against this kind of. He sees it as a real compromise of the faith, especially by this general early generation uh, of those who are seeking to live godly lives. One of the things that uh, is unique about Davenport in the in the 17th century, especially as a Puritan, is that he does have a portrait that's painted of him. Yeah, it's, but it's really an interesting one. Really <laughs> unusual um, for people to have portraits painted at this point, uh, especially in the New World. There is a, a scarcity of portrait painters, especially good portrait painters. And uh, for whatever reason, it seems close to his death, uh, a portrait is painted. Um, we could call it a, a warts and all portrait. Um, <laughs> it's not flattering. <laughs> it, 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 it's unusual in its form. It really doesn't follow the usual format 
of a Puritan painting, uh, which is fairly generic and really could be a painting of of anyone. Uh, He's revealed as rather a a portly man. He's got close-set eyes, a long nose, uh, a wispy mustache, a small beard, and thinning gray hair. (laughs) Uh, It's really not uh, a flattering, it really is a very, uh, I think, realistic portrait would be the best way <laughs> to describe such a thing. Oh, that's great. So when we think about Puritans and, uh, our, you know, our own day, it, we ask our guests this all the time, what, what if there had been no Davenport? Uh, what, what if we had not had a, a Davenport helping found New Haven? What would we have missed out of? Um, we may well have missed out on the establishment of an institution like Yale that may well have not happened. And the college that it it, it was and did become uh, may well have remained where it was originally or moved to maybe Hartford, which was bigger. Um, the, The fact that New Haven was established, it was growing, it had merchants, it had these streets which were already established, Mm -hmm. Um, a a center of growth and prosperity, I I think um, encouraged uh, not just uh, Yale itself, but mission and ministry in that city. It was seen uh, as a center of Christian life. And, And I think the actions to... Uh, forced that to become part of Connecticut proper, uh, really didn't put an end to that. It simply shifted things more politically. But I think what Davenport and the other Puritans had established was something which really did continue for a while and, and gave a Christian foundation to that part of the world. It's so amazing when we think through how individual lives get connected. And uh, John Cotton is worthy of another conversation at, at another time. Yes, and we, we definitely ought to talk about uh, about him. Uh, if you, listener, are wanting to know more about uh, Davenport, there's a wonderful biography of him by Francis um, Bremer uh, called Building a New Jerusalem. John Davenport, a Puritan in three worlds, which seeks to um, really connect him to the different movements of political geopolitical forces that he is subjected to as as a man while seeking to firmly minister and um, and still establish his life within uh, a, a Puritan biblical uh, context and framework. For you as a listener, if you are interested in that volume, you can contact uh, our wonderful bookstore here on the campus of uh, Midwestern Seminary and Spurgeon College called The Sword and the Trowel. Uh, We'd love to have you uh, come and visit us even on campus in our bookstore to see if you can maybe pick that up along with other treasures, but you can always order online as well. Thank you for joining us for this episode of This Week in Church History. I hope you learned a little about about Puritans, about John Davenport, and about uh, this entire experiment uh, that the Puritans were engaged in in living out their Christian life on a day-to-day basis. Hopefully, friends, you are encouraged to do the same, and we'll see you next week.